Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, until further notice, we are not meeting physically in the church building and instead are live streaming our worship service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We hope you will join us either on our website or on our Facebook page for worship. Now, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you as we continue our sermon series called Mountains and Valleys, where we are looking at the life of the prophet Elijah. We're studying him because the situation in which God used him is very similar to ours. His country was in turmoil. The economy was crashed. I mean, everybody was living in fear, yet God used him in a mighty way. See, week one, we saw that when everybody else went into panic, Elijah was stable. He was a man completely dependent upon God. And because of that, when the world around him was shaken up, he remained consistent. When your life is dependent upon God, your foundation It'll never crumble. Last week we saw that when the world was brought to his knees, it was actually God doing it. He created space for the nation of Israel to see their idols and and show what they truly depended upon and wanted them to see that false idols provided false hope. And Elijah called the nation and the king to return to worship to the one true God that is Yahweh. You see, all they wanted to do was return to normal. They wanted the things to go back to how it was. But God didn't want them to go back to normal. God wanted them to bring, God wanted to bring revival. And the brutal fact we looked at was just because something is normal doesn't mean it's right. Just because you're comfortable and used to something doesn't make it holy. There's a great chase that great chance that during this time God has created space and doesn't want us to go back to normal but to find out how we can come back and worship him so he can bring revival. And what's amazing is we didn't finish the story last week. We ended up with all the prophets of Baal, that being 450 of them executed, but the rain still hadn't come. And if you haven't been with us, let me just give you a quick recap. You see, the northern tribe of Israel had been led astray by their king. His name was Ahab. He not only tolerated the worship of other gods, he actually participated in bringing sacrifices to these other gods, and he built the temple for it. So he was encouraging the worship of idols. Baal was supposedly the storm god, the one who controlled the rain and the storms, which would produce the crops and feed the livestock and all of that. And so Yahweh did a direct blow to Baal by taking away the rain. And in a grain economy, that means everything crashed. Their livestock was dead. They couldn't grow crops. They didn't have things to sell. So the water around them came crumbling. And it lasted for three and a half years. So God gave the word to Elijah to make it rain again. Before they were to go back to normal, God did a showdown with Baal. He had him up on a mountain and they did this big thing. You can go back and listen to it uh, last week, but needless to say, God won and got their attention. And then all of the prophets of Baal, 450 of them were executed. If you missed it, you can go back and watch it online, but yet it still hadn't reigned. 
And what Elijah does next, what I'm excited to talk to you about today, what he does next is what he is really known for. It's the thing that truly makes him famous. While Elijah does many things, this is the thing that people go back to. It's kind of like, well, anybody else, like Michael Jordan, all right? He has shoes and I'm just amazed they still make them, but he played baseball, golf, but what he is known for is basketball, right? Specifically with the Bulls. We all want to kind of forget the couple of years with the Wizards. And I'm pretty sure the same thing is going to happen to Brady, but we'll move on. We have Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is pretty famous for, well, really two things. But the big thing that he's known for is golf. Ronald Reagan, and yes, I had to look this up because I didn't know much about him. He was a sports commentator. He was an actor. I knew that. He was the governor of California for two terms. I had no idea. I should know that, but I didn't. But what he's truly known for is an upper tier president of the United States. I mean, even if, even if you weren't his party, people still liked him. And Elijah, I mean, he calls down fire. He never actually dies. He runs 17 miles like flash. We'll see that today. He raises people from the dead. And while all those things are rather impressive, that's not what his legacy was. None of those things are what was the thing he's remembered for, but the catalyst for them all. But before we get to that, before we get to that, I ask you, well, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? If you could be remembered for one thing, if you could hand down something to the next generation that they could embrace, what would you want it to be? Perhaps money, I mean, that's a great one, but according to money.com, 70% of, fam, of wealthy families lose their wealth by the second generation. It's rather discouraging, isn't it? 90% lose it by the third generation. Perhaps you think, well, my family's gonna beat the odds, but chances are, if you have money, you're probably good with numbers and the math just isn't on your side. Or what about a great family name? You know, you want to leave this strong, powerful name. I think that's pretty cool. I mean, but your grandchildren might remember you, but your great-grandchildren definitely won't. And as you know, it just takes one person in the family to set the name back 100 years, so maybe that won't last. You have values. You say, well, I'm going to give my kids values. I'm going to pass them on. They'll stay in the test of time and perhaps just hope their psychiatrist doesn't try to explain them all away later. Or what about your faith? You say, Brian, I'm going to leave them with a, with a good, solid faith. And I, and I think that sounds great, but how do you, how do, you do that? Is it through Bible study? Maybe force them to attend church, right? I know many of you were forced to attend church. Or maybe it's having those God talks with them and over-spiritualize everything to the point of they don't even want to talk to you anymore. I got a friend who does that to his family. Or maybe you haven't even thought about it. You're like, Brian, I'm too young. I'm not worried about this legacy. It's not important. Well, I mean, was it important what people left you or how you remember your family? Maybe you say, well, I won't be here, so it doesn't matter. I get that. But perhaps, perhaps, and in fact, I want to encourage you to leave a legacy like Elijah did. What we're going to study and what we're going to learn from him today. The title of my sermon today is in Scott. That makes two in a row, sir two in a row. Prayer, a legacy you can leave. Because look at what James, the brother of Jesus, says about Elijah. And listen, this is about a thousand years 
after his life. I'm not sure anybody's going to remember me a hundred years after I die, but this is a thousand years after Elijah's life. And look at what he's known for. James 5, 16, second part of 16 and 18 says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. When Elijah wants to illustrate powerful and effective prayer, he looks to Elijah and he points to the story we're looking at today. And I don't know about you, but when I read that righteous person, I'm like, oh, well, never mind. But all that saying is simply a believer in Jesus Christ. Because Christ has made us all righteous. We are righteous because of him. As scholar Douglas Moose says, he says, prayer, James wants to make clear, is a powerful weapon in the hands of even a humblest, excuse me, the humblest believer. It does not require super, super saint to wield it effectively. And see, James's point is Elijah was just like us. Elijah was just like you. He wasn't a, zero, a superhero. And you can do, and I know that's hard to believe, but you can do what Elijah did. Maybe not the napalm, although if I had to pick one of his things, the napalm would probably be the superpower I'd like, right? Or the thing I could call down. But you never know until you try, right? But everything Elijah did was simply through prayer. And James says, you, you can do this too. And you say, well, Brian, no. I mean, that, that's crazy. I mean, I don't even know if I believe this stuff in the Bible. I mean, I, I just, I can't pray like that. I mean, God won't answer him like that. I'm, I want you to know that according to James, the brother of Jesus, yes, yes, you can. And you see, that's the secret. That's not a secret at all. The way to be used by God in a powerful and effective way is quite simply Prayer. See, one of the earliest memories I have in my life is prayer. I was in kindergarten about to go down for nap. This is a true story. People ask me, say, Brian, are your stories true? Absolutely. Every single one of them. I don't make them up. But I was about to go nap, go to nap on my red mat. How many of y'all had those? Anybody? Just one. Thank you, Eric, for participating. The rest of you, get off your phone, please, all right? So after lunch, so before I went to, I had lunch, went to nap, and after nap, if you had a snack, you could eat it. And so I prayed. I prayed for the Lord to provide an extra pack of snark, shark bite fruit snacks in my lunch. Anybody remember those, Miles? Yes, Miles does good. Yeah, I, and I also wanted it to be fully white, but that's not important to my story, the, the full... Uh, Great white shark ones. If you remember them, they were delicious. And that's what I said. I said, Lord, I want an extra pack of shark bite fruit snacks. And it shouldn't shock you that my, one of my earliest memories is tied to food. It is what it is. And I remember waking up from my nap with full anticipation, with full faith, going to my lunchbox because I knew they would be there. And they were not. God did not answer that prayer at least not the way I wanted. One of my earliest memories in life is being disappointed in prayer. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you kept praying that God would change your circumstance when you were younger, but he, he never did. Maybe you prayed for that healing would come and it never came. 
Maybe you kept praying that your marriage would change, your finance would change, your situation would change. You just kept praying and praying and praying, and it never came true. Maybe you've been disappointed with prayer, and maybe that's why you've thought about or considering walking away from it all, just saying this doesn't work. Listen, I get that. Why fruit snack may be amusing to you for a five-year-old. I mean, that was a pretty big deal. Not just with fruit stacks, though. I've also had other prayers not answered the way I wanted. Well, I can't deny that many of my prayers haven't been answered the way I thought they should, if I'm honest. Some of my greatest memories tied to the faith, some of my greatest moments of faith came because of prayer. I remember when I was 19, I was living with some friends. I was an electrician's apprentice, which means I was on my feet all day, walking up ladders, shoveling, things like that. And I had this bump on the arch of my foot that was extremely, extremely painful. It was so painful, I couldn't walk very well. I couldn't climb ladders and I couldn't use a shovel. And this is what I did for a living. I was living with my friends on my own and I was in so much pain and I didn't have health insurance. So I did what any tough, rough, construction, grown man does when they have a problem. I called my mom. I said, Mama, I need your help. My mom worked in the medical field for years and luckily she had a friend who she worked for that was actually a, a podiatrist and he saw me without insurance one evening after work. He did this as a favor for my mom, he didn't charge us. He took an x-ray of the foot he cut it open, took some swabs, and did, you know, the normal test that doctors did. It turns out I had metal lodged in my foot, and it was creating these growths. It was disgusting. I tried to find pictures for you. You should not Google, like, cyst on foot. You should never Google that. It's disgusting. I wanted to show you a picture, but I chose not to. So he said this, he said, that's what's causing it. I have this metal, and I'm probably going to have to have surgery. But he sent it off for some tests. That day, my mom called my pastor. He was an interim pastor at the church we went to, and we went to his house, and he, we talked with him, and he, he told me he had the gift of healing. And I know you're probably thinking the same thing I thought. I was like, okay. But he said he wanted to pray with me. I'd never experienced anything like that, and he literally anointed me with oil. First time for everything, but he did. And he prayed. And he prayed. I went home that day to my friends. Remember, I was living on my own and, and they were bewildered. My foot was all bandaged up and I wish I could say they were concerned for my health, but they could have cared less. They were concerned about the bills. Brian, how are you gonna pay for this? What are you gonna do? I mean, we can't cover you. You gotta pitch in. One of my roommates, he wasn't a believer, wasn't a Christian. And I just looked at him and I said, don't worry about it. God's gonna heal it. I didn't say this arrogantly, but there was something inside of me that just knew it would happen. I can't explain how I knew, I just knew that it would happen. And I went back to the doctor about, I think two days later, something like that, he informed me I had a staph infection. I had to get my foot cleaned out, I had to get on antibiotics, and I had uh, to get this all out. I would be out for a while. When he took the bandages off my foot, it was almost completely healed. His words were literally, this is impossible. It couldn't have cleared up. And he truly, I promise you, did not like the answer, but we prayed over it and Jesus healed it. And before you get skeptical, because we all are when we hear stories like that, remember one of my first stories I told you is I have been disappointed in prayer. 
There's been plenty of times it didn't come through and it didn't happen the way I wanted. And if I would have a choice, I'd rather tell you that I had a fruit snake pop up in my lunchbox and the other thing never even happened. But I don't know. This is what God chose to do. I've experienced powerful and effective prayers. And according to James, he says, you, he says, you, you can do this too. What Elijah experienced, you can experience. Because we have the same God who is still doing amazing things. So let's continue in our story and let's see what we can learn from Elijah about prayer. This is the great prayer of faith we see. It's 1 Kings 18, 41 through 46. This is right after all of Ahab's prophets have been slaughtered. It says, and Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink for the sound of heavy rain. But there's a sound of heavy rain. He heard it. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go look towards the sea, he told his servant. He went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. Let's pause real quick, because imagine being the servant. Is there anything there? No. 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 Is there anything there? Right, at some point, it would get kind of old. But he kept praying, go back and look. And the seventh time, the servant reported, well, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand rising. As small as a man's hand. It's not very hopeful, is it? So Elijah said, go to Ahab, hitch up your chariots and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with crowds, the, with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah. Listen to this. You're not gonna believe this is in here. Look at this. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, tucking his cloak into his belt. He ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Listen, there's so many things I want to talk about, but we're going to have to stay focused here because he runs faster than horses and chariots for 17 miles. It's one thing to run 17 miles. It's another thing to run 17 miles in a cloak and sandals. And I guess one thing you can learn is you should pray before you exercise, right? Maybe he'll come through. But look, so there are four things I want us to see about powerful and effective prayer. Four things. First, powerful and effective prayers are humble prayers. While everyone else goes off to eat and drink, Elijah climbs to the very tip top of the mountain to be with God. He got away from the crowds. He got away from everyone else. Obviously his servant came with him, but he went to the very tip top. And if you'll notice Jesus's life, he does the same thing. He constantly goes away from the crowds to be alone in prayer to seek God. But when he gets to the very top of the mountain, he falls to his knees, puts his head between his knees in this humble posture and cries out to the Lord. You see, his, his posture showed what was going on the inside. He knew he couldn't bring the rain, but he knew the person who could. You see, the great giants of our faith constantly humble themselves before the Lord. The Bible tells us that Abraham fell before God Moses prayed with his arms stretched out. Daniel got on his knees, even when he was told not to pray. Jesus fell, prayed with his face to the ground. So Elijah knew, he said, it's not me. And he humbled himself before the Lord. 
as James tells us, James tells us, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Maybe you've heard the saying, it's so appropriate for Elijah, he who kneels before God can stand before anyone. See, Elijah's boldness came from his humility before, the, before God. You see, not only was he humble in his posture, right? he crouched down, bowed before God, he was humble in his request. Please notice, and this is so important and applicable to what we're going through right now, is he didn't try to pray away the rain before God told him to. He was praying in accordance, in accordance with God's will. You see, you can't pray away what God ordained. You can't pray away what God ordained. And this is one of our main problems, if we were honest. We want to get rid of what God is doing in our life. We want to get rid of the hardships. We want to get rid of the suffering. We want to get rid of these things that God wants us to go through. You see, there's no doubt that during this drought, the prophet of Baals were crying out to their false god to provide rain. But not Elijah. He knew it wasn't time. You see, we can never forget that God is the main character of this story of our world. And we are supporting his plans. He's the lead. And many of us think, we think, well, no, 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 I have a story and God's supporting me, but I promise you that isn't true. We are supporting God. We are here for him. When we humble ourselves before God, we understand that there are things that we just don't understand. As Isaiah says, and you probably know this, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, God doesn't check in with us before he does something, nor should we ever feel like we need to apologize for what he does. But Elijah, Elijah's humbling himself and praying according to God's will. He knows he's not the powerful one, but it's God who is. Just like in the garden when Jesus goes before the Father, he says, Lord, if there's any way, take this. But not my will, but yours. During this time, during this pandemic, are you trying to pray away what God ordained? You say, Brian, are you saying that God brought this? No, 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 I, I'm not. I don't, under, I don't understand what's going on. But I do believe that when something this big is going in the world, that God is fully aware of it. And for whatever reason, he's allowing it to go through. So before you try to pray away what he's using, check in to see if there's something else you need to pray for, something else that this is exposed in your life. So powerful and effective prayers are first humble prayers, both in posture and request. But number two, powerful and effective prayers are specific prayers. Elijah was clearly on the mountain praying for rain. He knew what he was asking God for. That's why he could send the servant to check if it had happened yet. Let's be honest, how specific are our prayers? And I'll be honest, I'm very guilty of generic prayers. I try to create a habit for my kids to pray. And so I'm very, very, well, I'm on a routine that I pray before dinner and food and I pray before they go to bed. But they're generic. Most of the time, I accidentally say them at the wrong time. I'll start praying, be like, oh, it's dinner. It's not nighttime. I just got in such a habit of saying this. I just kind of say it whenever. And to be honest, if that's all my kids are learning from me, I am teaching them how to have ineffective 
non-powerful prayers because uh, generic prayers aren't powerful, nor can a generic prayer be effective. See, the difference between a generic prayer and a specific prayer is the difference between small talk and a deep conversation with a friend. And that's where some of you may be. You may just be having small talk with God, like, hey, God, how's the weather? How you doing all right? Feeling good? Kids good? But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to start having a deep conversation with God. And it's hard. And it takes courage to do that because you've got to be honest. You've got to be vulnerable. But here's the thing. He already knows your heart. He searches it. He already knows your desires. He's put them there. So here's some example. Instead of saying, God, please let me just have a good day at work. Go a little bit deeper with that. Instead say, God, I'm scared. I'm lonely. I feel like nobody there likes me and nobody would like me if they truly saw who I was. Show me how to show your love in a tough environment. Or say, God, I have this, instead of saying, say, God, I have this presentation today and I feel like a failure and I'm gonna screw it up. God, if you don't give me your peace, I'm gonna blow it. Instead of saying, God, please bless my marriage. Start praying for yourself, said God, please help me be the husband I am to be. Show me how to love my wife deeper. Help me keep my eyes pure from those things I lust after. Or maybe say, Father, please help me be the wife I am to be. Show me how to respect my husband in a different, better way. Father, snap me out of the daydreaming, always wondering what if that other person. Father, snap me out of it. Instead of saying, Father, forgive me for my sins and just putting a big blanket, broad paintbrush, say, Father, forgive me for that lust, for that pride, for that selfishness, for that anger. There's a power in being specific with your prayer. When your prayers are specific, you can look for specific answers. You will be able to see the specific ways in which the Lord is answering your prayers When you're specific, you'll have a specific measure. When you're generic, you'll never have a clue if he ever comes through. Because you haven't really asked him for anything. See, powerful and effective prayers are humble and specific. If you're taking notes, number three is powerful and effective prayers are persistent prayers. See, Elijah prayed for rain and he didn't give up. He was persistent. He sent the servant back seven times until he got what he was looking for. And I don't know how you feel or what you're like, but after three times, I'd have been like, well, maybe God said no. Maybe not yet. Maybe I misheard. I would start making excuses rather than continually, persistently asking him for the prayer. And here's the thing. We don't know why God didn't answer the first time. He knew he was going to make it rain. He told Elijah to go because he was going to make it rain. So why did he not answer Elijah's prayer on the first time? We don't know. Look what Jesus teaches us. Matthew 18, 1 says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. Trent Butler says, Prayer is based on absolute faith in God, so it never gives up, knowing that God will answer when and where he chooses. 
Prayer also knows that God expects us to keep praying until the answer comes. I said, we don't know why he didn't do it the first time. Perhaps he was testing his faith. Perhaps he was testing, uh, teaching him or teaching us to never give up hope, never to lose faith, to be persistent in our prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but I got this wrong for, for many, many years. It's the King James Version fault. Look at what it says. It says, but when ye pray, it's Matthew 6, 7. It says, but when ye pray, who says ye anymore? Anybody? Juan? Ye? No? Okay. Ye. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do. And I thought what this meant was if I ask God more than once, I am being a heathen. Well, he already knew I was a heathen, so I had that taken care of. But I didn't think I was supposed to ask more than one time. But that's not what he's saying. All modern translations have fixed this problem. What it says is not to babble. And babbling is what we saw from the prophets last week, where they're thinking their length of the prayers and what they do matters, that they can do something to provoke God. Listen, Matthew 6, 7 says this. In the NIV, it says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Jesus is speaking against those who think their length of the prayer matters or the specific language in their prayer matters. What he's getting at is the mechanical empty prayers. Basically, he's talking about me before bedtime and before dinner. The generic prayers, just saying them to say them. It's convicting, right? It is for me. R.T. France says, it's not many words that God responds to, but an attitude of prayerful dependence. You see, persistent prayers are very different than babbling, very different than just saying what you think you should say. For instance, this week we ran out of milk and Tyler, well, Tyler has to have his cereal every morning. And when he saw we were out one morning, he said, Dad, will you get some milk? Dad, will you get some milk? Dad, will you get some milk? Yes, yes. I'll get some milk. To be honest, I didn't get milk. So the next morning, woke up and said, Dad, you, I want cereal. I was like, ah. You know, I didn't, I didn't get any milk. I actually forgot that day too. So the third day, I was like, all right, I got to get this kid milk. This is horrible. I went to the stores, but guess what? They were out of milk. I was like, oh, bad dad failed. But Tyler kept asking. He kept asking. He was persistent about this request. Because Tyler knew I could, and Tyler knew I would. He wasn't being mechanical. He wasn't babbling. He just said, well, Dad, I know you can, and I know you will. So have you gotten the milk? Dad, have you gotten the milk? Dad, have you gotten the milk? Dad, I really need the milk. So he was persistent in his asking. I didn't find it rude because he knew I could, and he knew I would. And so he just kept asking, and he couldn't believe when it didn't happen, which brings us to the fourth point, powerful and effective prayers are expectant prayers. When your prayers are humble, specific, persistent, you can pray expecting God to answer them. You see, Elijah kept praying because he was expecting God to make it rain. Even when a servant came back and said, it's just a little cloud, it's not much, just a not even sure if it happened. It might have been something in my eye. I don't know. Elijah said, it's time to go. We got to go. Get your stuff together. God's about to pour out his blessing on this land. You see, Elijah knew better. And I ask, when you pray, 
do you expect God to actually answer it? Are you bold enough to discuss it with other people? Are you bold enough to have a faith-filled prayer to say, here's what I'm saying, here's what God's gonna do? But let's be honest, being expected in prayer is hard because nobody wants to be let down. Nobody wants someone not to come through. So if we get our hopes up and he doesn't come through, it can put a blow. So we'd rather not expect anything. We'd rather just wash it away. But that's not a faith-filled prayer. Elijah was expecting it. It's easier not to trust God if we don't expect it. But I want to challenge you to expect it. See, as a kid, I felt let down when God didn't come through with the fruit snacks. I mean, I was told that he was an all-knowing, all-powerful God that answered prayer. That's what I was told at five, and I believed it. And so I was so confused when he didn't give me the fruit snack. Maybe you've been confused. If God can, why doesn't he? He doesn't do it because he can't. That's what we think. Well, if, if, if he could, he would. And he, that's, None of that's true. You see, James 4.3 helps us. He says this. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motive. Mm. Oh, so God look, looks at those, huh? I, I didn't learn that. He says that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures or eat or whatever you want to fill in. You see, the truth is I wasn't going to share any of those fruit snacks. And the truth is I wouldn't have told anybody about the fruit snacks because I wouldn't want God's uh, storage or God's, you know, plethora of fruit snacks to be depleted before I came back to get more. I wouldn't have wanted to share. The truth is my prayer was extremely selfish and was all about well, me and just wanting fruit snacks. See, when I was older, he did come through. It was a completely different type of prayer. Remember when I told you that, that friend in the living room who didn't believe, I told him it was going to be healed, and he was like, okay. Well, after it was, a couple of days later, the pastor was in the living room leading that young man to Christ. You see, God used that for his glory and the salvation of somebody else. And what I found out, it wasn't about me at all. You see, God is very, very interested in answering prayers for his glory. God is very interested in answering prayers for the salvation of other people. And I don't know how to tell you when you can be bold and say, hey, I expect this. I know it's going to happen. There's just something deep down in that tells you it comes from an intimate relationship. Like you can predict your spouse or your brother or sister's response before they do it. It's, it's kind of like that. I can't tell you when and where or how, but I can tell you that God will let you know to where you can be bold. But the most important thing you can expect, and if you were to go into prayer expecting this, I promise it will happen. The best thing you can expect from prayer is change. R.C. Sproul says, Prayer does change things, all kinds of things. But the most important things it changes is us. See, if we go into prayer expecting to be changed, expecting to hear from God about our situation, I promise he'll answer that prayer. The apostle Paul had an ailment and he asked God to take it away three times. God's answer was no. But that's not all he heard. God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. See, Paul went to the Lord expecting. He didn't get the answer he wanted, but he got the answer he needed. 
you can expect God to answer your prayers. You can expect God to reveal your motives in your prayer. And when God answers the prayer of change and the change in you, I promise it will be powerful and effective every single time. See, powerful and effective prayers are humble, specific, persistent, and expected. And what if you, what if you chose to leave a legacy of prayer? What if you taught your kids and your grandkids that they can depend upon God for every heartbreak, every pain, every uncertainty? What if you showed them what it looked like to be honest and vulnerable before the creator God? What if you could point and show them how Jesus has done a miraculous thing in your life and how they can expect it too? What if you could leave them completely dependent and trusting in God? You see, that kind of faith doesn't come from knowledge. That kind of faith comes through prayer and a dependency upon it. You see, your faith is shown more in your prayer life than anything else. Prayer is a legacy you can leave. And it doesn't cost you a thing. But it can be the most valuable thing you pass down and give anyone around you. Because no matter what life throws at them, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what comes crumbling down, when their life is built upon the power and the effectiveness of prayer, they won't be shaken. They won't get discouraged. They will be able to stand with boldness. Said, my God will, and my God can. But if not, well, that's a different story for a different day. So this week I ask, will you pray with me? It's never too late. You can start now. Will you be bold in your prayers? Will you commit to seeking God honestly, being vulnerable with him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, teach us to love prayer. Father, strengthen our prayer life. Help us pray more. Help us see the value in building a relationship with you through prayer. Draw us by the power of your spirit when our hearts and minds wander carelessly from thought to thought, when our anxieties try to overwhelm us in prayer. Father, we come before you to confess our ignorance in prayer. We can confess our carelessness, our lack of motivation, our cold mechanical prayers. Father, forgive us for that. Fill us with imagination of faith Will we consider all things possible to those who believe? And remember that you are the God who loves us beyond anything we can comprehend or understand. Father, help us grow persistent in prayer. Nudge us to pray when we're doing those mindless, empty things. Help us to truly know that in Christ, we are your child and that you love us and you wanna give us every good thing. Father, help us understand that you hear us. Nudge us so we can learn your word, so we can learn how to pray deeper. Father, help us, First Baptist Church, become a praying church. Let us be known in our community and beyond as a church that seeks you and your will, and that we pray powerful and effective prayers for your glory. Oh God, we pray for your glory to be known. In the name of Jesus, we pray.